Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. In all honesty, guys, don't be offended by this. You got to love when statements start like that. I'm not here for you. I'm here because God asked me to be here. And there's no place I would rather be. Um, I love the church. I love when she gathers. I love when she prays. I love when she serves our city. I love that she is a hospital for the sick, not a platform for the polished and put together. I love that we can come here and find truth, which is rare these days. Encouragement, correction, fellowship, healing, and the help we need to live lives that actually change things around us. Lives that push back darkness, lives with predestined works and purposes, challenges that are by design to shape us and give us opportunities to bring our Savior and rescuer Jesus great and much-deserved glory. Do you guys ever stop and just, just take a moment to think about it, the church, how it began? Uh, I've been watching The Chosen. I love how they've showed just how ordinary and unqualified the 12 disciples were, who many of them later became apostles, and it gives me great hope because people like Neil, Nick, and Sean lead this community. We're ordinary people, but we get to partner with the God of the universe to bring healing not only to our own hearts, but to the hearts of the relationships we're connected with and to the world that God's laid before us. The gathered church is a place where anything can happen on any morning. Chains can be broken, captives can be set free, it's the only place I know that can change a person's life permanently in an instant. There's so much power in the gathered church. I also love seasons. I love when they change. I love that life is not like a long, continuous episode, but more like a book with defined chapters. I do love it when the seasons change, when leaves change colors. We got this beautiful, huge tree in our backyard, and the leaves are literally changing colors, and This is a rare perspective for people in Southern California, I know. Um, What I'm talking about today is the appointed times that God has predestined and pre-designed us to experience in life. That's what the Bible talks about. There is a liturgical or an order, an intentional nature that God orchestrates both time and stimulus to shape our very personhood, to refine, rebuke, encourage, and change us from one degree of glory to another. I'm not sure why I am this way, but um, for as long as I can remember in my adult life and even more in my Christian faith, um, I love to take time to reflect on what the Lord has done each year. I love to revel in gratitude for his kindness in shaping, to learn and to repent from mistakes made and to survey the land ahead in faith and in partnership with, with the will of God. We take time each year as it finishes and as it begins to stand before God, to seek his face and to sharpen our gaze upon his purposes. And guys, this morning, this is what I aim to do. Can we come together before our maker this morning in humble faith and allow his holy scriptures to cast vision for our lives? Can we look to see what God may be showing me and maybe what he's showing you that we can press in together to elevate the love and brilliance of our Savior Jesus to the forefront of the expression of our lives. Uh, This morning, church, um, 
I'm going to be looking at how we as individual disciples can press into his wisdom, his presence, and power um, to find personal renewal and transformation. Next week, as Syl mentioned, Nick is going to be casting vision for how we as a body, as a family, uh, can collectively pursue the things of God. We're also going to be celebrating our birthday. Hobbs Barbecue is phenomenal. Um, he gives us an incredible deal. This man loves Jesus. Um, uh, his business is just next to the packing district at Make. Um, it's wonderful. I highly encourage you guys to take your family there sometime to support him. Uh, but please be here uh, for next Sunday. I'm so excited to hear what God has been sharing with Nick uh, and what he's going to be communicating with us. Guys, today's sermon is titled, Be Careful How You Live. Uh, fun story, those are tattooed on my arm, but anyways. Um, the problem that we are unpacking today, honestly, it's too large for a simple message. Um, the most biblical way that I can describe it comes from Matthew twenty-four twelve, And it says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Um, these are the words of Jesus. Uh, or in other words... The problem that we face today, and this is going to get a little heavy for a bit, but it gets better. The problem that we face today is that the world around us and ourselves as well have been through yet another somewhat brutal and traumatic experience. Some of us have seen families divided over politics and medicine. We've seen a massive increase in things like homelessness, suicide, overdoses, domestic violence, child abuse, theft, job loss, to name a few. We've seen cities burn, capitals breached, economic and social instability, rumors of wars, etc., etc. It's been a little rough. It's been tough. Tough couple of years. <clears throat> and often when things get difficult and dark, it can be easy to allow our focus to become stuck or attracted to those things, leaving little space in our minds for things like beauty, trust, empathy, compassion, and faith. The most simple way I can describe the problem we would have solved is how does one person help repair a hurting world? Um, I'm not sure about you, but when I try to look, look at and solve problems this massive, it can feel a bit like riding a tornado. Uh, there are so many variables, the problem seems so large that it can be destabilizing. And here's how I want us to approach the things we are going to learn today. We need to understand this concept. This is something that I've been drip feeding for years, and I just want to remind us. And this isn't with a heart of legalism. This is not with uh, a heart to burden. Um, but just uh, check this out. Our personal sanctification and holiness is connected to the beauty, power, and attractiveness of the body of Christ. And the state of the world is connected to the health of the church of Jesus Christ. It is God's solution for mankind. It is the vehicle that he has for some reason chosen to spread his message and to bring healing. <clears throat> I don't have the time, though I would love to, to trace through history to show how the renewal of the church has always led to the transformation of the nation and societies around them. Slavery was abolished by believers, not politicians. Human rights are honored and elevated in societies that in which Christ is honored and elevated, in societies that understand who created humans and whose image that they bear. <clears throat> I 
Sorry, my notes are out of order. Forgive me, guys. All right. What this means this morning, and this is true of every moment of every day that we will ever have the privilege of living, you have the opportunity to allow the kingdom of God to advance as you draw near to him. You get the opportunity to transform this broken world through your devotion to Jesus. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we examine ourselves through the Holy Scriptures, we get to find the help, the encouragement, and correction that we need to stop the bleeding of this wounded world. Our sanctification and our holiness beautifies the body of Christ, and Christ's body beautifully overcomes the world. This is our anchor this morning. So as we look at things that are crazy, that are dark, um, I assure you, your devotion to Christ is the most important thing that we could be devoted to that will change things around us. Through last week, I've been reflecting and thinking about today's message. I've ended years from the pulpit, but I've never had the privilege of starting one, and I felt the Spirit bring me to the book of Ephesians. Today, we'll be taking a look at chapter 2, mostly beginning in verse 1. We're just going to see how far we get. I honestly haven't timed the sermon. Um, <clears throat> forgive any long pauses uh, or things like that, but beginning in verse 1, and listen carefully. As for you and me, we were dead in our trespasses and sin in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this passage identifies the three enemies of every believer, the world, the devil, and the flesh. Um, it, It gives, a, I think, a very accurate perspective of things that we see unfolding. It helps us to survey the land that we live in. Uh, another way that you could rephrase this text uh, would be something like this. The natural course of this world is a trespass against God's will. It leads, it's led by demonic powers. The Bible says that. Uh, and it is enacted by living in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Another translation communicates the end of verse 3 a little more clearly, and it says this. We once lived this way, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. The term sinful nature is synonymous with the term the flesh. And I would argue um, that it is synonymous with a, a, a Christless use of the term the self, right? Um, Just to point out how predominant the influences of the way the world are, I wanted to throw up some popular mantras on the screen and take a moment to to take a closer look at where these ideas originated and what other thoughts and supporting beliefs are connected to them. Uh, On my 40th birthday, uh, one of the things I wanted to do, and I did, I picked up John Comer's new book. Uh, He is both an author and a pastor. The book is titled Live No Lies. Its subtitle is Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies That Sabotage Your Peace, Uh, in which he provides massive insights to where we are culturally and what empty philosophies are leading many of our nation. 
And in his chapter, The Slavery of Freedom, he does a phenomenal job of tracing back the original ideology of some of the predominant catchphrases we see in culture that are everywhere, basically. All right, you see things like, what the heart wants, the heart wants what it wants, okay? Or uh, follow your heart, you do you, speak your truth. Or uh, from Shakespeare himself, uh, from Hamlet, be true to yourself. You know, YOLO, all these kind of things. So where do, where do the, many of these origi- originate? These originate in an idea um, that basically says that our desires are ultimate. Um, many of these statements can actually be traced back to or connected with the philosophy that was developed by the one and only Dr. Sigmund Freud, uh, the Austrian neurologist <clears throat> known as the founding father of psychology, uh, the doctor who created ideas around the three parts of the human psyche. He created a theoretical model of three parts of the mind, the id, which is basically where our desires live, the ego. Um, Think of this as the system that turns the desires into actions, and then the superego, the best way I could describe that is it basically judges how the other two things are doing. Anyways, um, and let me just say this. Whenever you mention Freud, things just get a little bit weird, but um, so this is Comer, uh, Uh, Speaking about Freud and his influences, he says, uh, Freud's take was radically contrary. For him, our most important desire was our libido, weird, uh, which he defined as our desire not just for intimacy but for pleasure as a whole. But because libido without restraint would lead to anarchy, our parents and cultural structures forced us to repress our desires, and for Freud, and this is key, The repression of any desire is the basis of neurosis. Examples of neurosis that are common are stress, depression, and anxiety. Translation, uh, the reason you're unhappy in life is because other people are telling you can't do stuff. Uh, The heart wants what it wants, and you'll be happy if you just follow your desires. You do you. Uh, Comer continues, he says, happiness has become more than feeling, feeling good. Excuse me. Happiness has become more about feeling good, not being good. The good life has become about getting what you want, not becoming the kind of people who want truly good things. The self, not God or scripture, is the new locus of authority in Western culture. Or from ethicist Robert C. Roberts, who does that? It's like me naming Hudson Thomas. Anyways. He's an expert on Freud's influence on the West, and he had this observation. We have been led to feel that the self is sacrosanct. Just as in an earlier time it was thought never fitting to deny God, so now it seems never right to deny self. Or from the theologian David Wells on what happens when a society is given over to the flesh. He says this, theology becomes therapy. The biblical interest in righteousness is replaced by a search for happiness, holiness by wholeness, truth is replaced by feelings, ethics by feeling good about oneself, the world shrinks to a range of personal circumstances, the community of faith shrinks to a circle of personal friends, the past recedes, the church recedes, the world recedes, all that remains is the self. Why am I talking about all this? 
is because I want to show you how true God's word is. The self, the flesh, our sinful nature, whatever you want to call it, loves Freud's teaching. It loves what aligns so easily with the course of the world. And just to be clear, the self is the thing that we are <laughs> believers are actively called to overcome. Uh, just a quick side note, I love counseling. Uh, I love the science of psychology. Uh, for those of us as believers, we just highly encourage that it is connected to a centrality of Christ. Uh, there are plenty of people that we encourage to get counseling. This isn't an, an anti-science message. This is uh, an anti-deception message. <clears throat> Let's look at one last mantra, shall we? I, uh, shall we? I found this one super funny. Um, but uh, from Hamlet's quote, quote uh, to thine own self be true. This blew my mind. Can anyone remember who actually said that in Hamlet? Don't feel bad if you can't. The author of this book could not recall it, neither could I. Those words were uttered by Polonius, who is the fool of the story. These slogans are rooted in this ideology. There is a prince of power of the air. He wields deception and desires to devour people. And our old way of life and the way of this world follows, follows him faithfully. This is what leads to the increase of wickedness. This is what causes a third, of the, a third of believers in our nation to leave the body. This is what causes hearts to grow cold. Friends, we must be careful how we live. Do not live according to your old way of life or your false self. Paul teaches us, Paul teaches us that we were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. We were taught with regard to our formal way, former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Never do this. Never go back to the old way of life. It is dead. It's outside of the life of God has for you. And there is no healing to be found there. Check this out. This is from an excerpt from a book that the elders are reading together. We're about uh, half of the way through it. It's called Changes That Heal by Dr. Henry Cloud. Over 650,000 copies of this book have been sold. It's 30 years old, um, and it has profound truth. And it talks about living in an authentic self, not like you do you authentic, but like actively living out and pursuing your sanctification honestly as a believer in the light before others. It talks about bonding and how all of our healing takes place in community and how God has designed us this way. And he says this, as long as the lying false self is the one relating to God, to others, and to ourselves, then grace and truth cannot heal us. The false self tries to heal tries to heal us by its own methods. It always finds false solution. And the real self that God created to grow into his image stays hidden and unexposed to both, to both grace and truth. Mercy Commons, in order to not continue to contribute to the tornado of brokenness we see all around us, we must transition our gaze off the things of this world and lock them onto the truth of Scripture and walk as our true selves. There is no power without healing, and there is no healing when we live lives in the flesh. Let us be exposed by the truth of God and mended by the grace of God. <clears throat> Excuse me.
You guys ever feel like, this is a total side note, like when you're thinking about, should I meet with Nick or Neil? It's like, should I meet with the bad cop or the good cop? Like, I'm the nice guy. Like, if you're moving out of state, you're probably going to want to meet with me. <clears throat> I feel like the, the opposite is totally true from the pulpit. And uh, I can get really intense, guys. Um, but honestly, I'm not sorry. This is one of the things I've been reflecting on. I feel like, I feel like political correctness or this acceptance culture that we are not allowed to challenge or offend or, or disagree has crept into the church, and I love you too much not to share this caution. I see these things all around me, and I want to draw your attention to it, but don't worry. It gets better. <clears throat> Verse 4. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved <clears throat> through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, thank you. Not as a result of your work so that any man may boast, for we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Guys, the scripture means so many things. There is so much truth here. But what I would like to draw our attention to is, number one, the merciful love of God makes us truly live. And number two, our changed lives, God's love for us, are to be a proof to the coming ages of God's love and mercy. So number one, the merciful love of God makes us truly come alive. True love changes how we think, and true love changes how we live. How does the love of God change how we think and live? I've been studying the psychology, see I like psychology, um, the psychology of habit forming for a while now, given my line of work as a pastor, but I started studying this more because of my uh, connection to our CrossFit affiliate. I try to gather as much understanding as possible on how to help people make lasting changes in their lives. And the psychology around uh, habit forming is just fascinating to me. Did you know that willpower and discipline are not the two ingredients that produces change in most individuals? You see, when people make a, a plan like this, let's say someone's going to overcome an addiction, uh, they're going to overcome an addiction to donuts, all right? We're going to start with that. The worst thing that that individual could do is walk around all day and think, okay, don't eat donuts, all right? All of you are thinking about donuts, great. Uh, <clears throat> to just take that thought and like put this iron fence of raw determination around it and just try to hold the line. Uh, it turns out that almost anyone who tries to beat an addiction or make changes in their life this way is almost destined to failure. Because, because we are desire-based creatures and less rational than we seem, the most effective way for these types of habits to be, tra uh, to be transformed is not to negative, negatively focusing on the unhelpful things we want to see removed from our lives, 
but finding a replacement for it and developing an intrinsic affinity for it. Translation, if you want to stop eating donuts, start developing a love of omelets. Think about them. Denver omelets. Spinach, mushroom feta, anybody? Um, chorizo and avocado. Mm-hmm, a little salsa. Mm. Um, seriously, though, did you know that your blood chemistry changes when you have a bitter thought? Did you know that leading cardiologists use a patient's emotional ties to determine their likelihood of developing heart disease? That the lack of bonding, which is the basis of a loving relationship, can affect one's ability to recover from an entire range of diseases, including cancer, strokes, and heart attacks. And this, this is just human love. It changes us. Bitterness. It, it affects our physical bodies. So in order to walk... In the new power of the regenerated self, you must set your mind, not on the old way of life and the cheap thrills that no longer come with it, but instead we must have our minds fixed on the things we desire to replace them with. And this does not come naturally, but when we encounter God, remember his kindness, trust in his purposes, and seek his face day after day, moment after moment, this is what begins to leave no room for the flesh and its desires. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but rather be filled with the Spirit. He says that we should have not a hint of sexual immorality or greed or perverse jokes, but instead replace them with thanksgiving. As changed people, we get to replace lies with truth. We get to replace anger with peace. We get to replace theft and greed with generosity, gossip with encouragement, and revenge with forgiveness. When we understand the magnitude of the love that has been shown to us in Christ. Guys, our attention is drawn to what we love. And when anyone truly loves another we desire to become the best version of ourselves to beautifully love that person in return. True love make us, makes us come alive and changes how we think, live, and feel. Number two, our changed lives are to be a proof of the coming ages of God's love and mercy. Let me just pull this up one more time. I just want to read it again. I did a little experiment with Jacqueline last night. I just read this said, what did this mean? <laughs> and so, sorry, sometimes we get so immersed in Scripture that we skip some step. I just want to go back to verse 7. It says, so that in the coming ages, he might show, who's he showing? The immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's from Matthew Henry, and he says, with respect to others, that in the, the ages to come, that God might give a specimen of proof of his great goodness and mercy for the encouragement of sinners in the future. Observing the goodness of God in, in someone converting and saving sinners throughout history is a proper encouragement to others in the ages to come to hope in his grace and mercy and to apply themselves to these. God having this in his design, poor sinners should take great encouragement from it. And what, and what, excuse me, and what may we not hope for from such grace and kindness, from riches of grace, 
to which this change is owing. Through Christ Jesus, by and through whom God conveys all his favor and blessings upon us. The most simple way that I can explain this is that God's love for the church should be famous in all the ages to come, and that includes us. So number one, guys, we follow Jesus, not the ways of the world. Number two, his love changes everything, how we think, how we live. We are to be a proof to the world that God's love is real for ages to come. And just as a reminder, our personal sanctification and holiness is connected to the beauty, power, and attractiveness of the body of Christ. What I want to do with the time remaining, I'm going to read through the rest of this incredible chapter, and I just want you guys to listen carefully, and there's just a few things that I want to point out, and then we're just going to respond in worship. In verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were, excuse me, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who were called themselves the circumcision, which is done by, by, uh, in the body with human hands. Remember at that time that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, who can make all groups, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God, with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and raises to become the holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What this scripture tells us is that the hostility in humanity will only find true peace through the cross. He tells us to remember that we once were without hope and without God in the world. Why does he do that? He's done it twice. He reminded us in verses one through three, and he does this again. Never forget the moment of your salvation, and you will always be grateful. You will always be humble, and you will have compassion 
for wicked people because you used to be one. You used to follow the ways of this world. You used to, without even knowing it, following demonic forces, the ruler of the powers of the air. Remember, but remember that you are also now citizens of the kingdom and we have access to the Father through the Spirit. Ben, you can join me up here. So with all that in view, when we look at the brokenness of humanity, when we look at, I mean, take your pick, there's a million things to choose from. And thank God for technology, it gets shoved in our face every single day. We could be connected to it at any moment. I'm not saying we should ignore those things. And guys, the, the reality is that when we personally worship God, it changes us. And as we as a body are collectively, individually changed, this bride becomes more beautiful, attractive, powerful, risky, generous, whatever you name it. And that is God's solution for the world, that a beautiful, risky, sacrificial church would boldly proclaim the gospel. And the good news is, is that there is no words that we can say that actually have power. It is God himself who chooses to rescue and redeem those that he is pursuing. So this is what I would encourage you to do this year. When we look at the the opportunity that God has laid before us, who knows, I hope we all get to finish this year. I do, but none of us are promised that. Want us to be devoted to him, to be devoted to his people, and devoted to his purposes. What does that look like? Be devoted to him, live by his words. The Bible talks about reading scripture in metaphorical ways Um, it talks about the word of God being a scroll. And in one of the books, he says, eat it, like consume it, get it inside of you. This is how we study scripture. We sit before it like God wrote it because he did. And we let it change us. We get it into us. The other way we're devoted to him, we speak to him. Like imagine if Jacqueline and I never talked to one another, how loving would our relation be, relationship be? How connected would we be? So in your personal prayer, in your corporate prayer, let's speak to God as we are devoted to him. <clears throat> Being devoted to his people, this includes when we gather, whether it's on a Sunday morning or house to house. And one of the ways that we are to be devoted to one another My question to you is this, is we are all to be discipled and to make disciples. A question I have for you at the beginning of this year is who is discipling you this year and who are you going to disciple as we are devoted to God's people? Be devoted to his purposes. This includes radical service to one another. The one another's is what communicates the love of God to a watching world. And the other way we can be devoted to his purpose is, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but there is many that God is still going to save. And we could be devoted to his purposes as we share our story, our testimony, um, as we talk about the radical kindness that God has been bestowed on us bestowed on us. That is what God, that is what makes God's love for the church famous. That is what compels in the ages to come. There are stories throughout history of people that were radically changed and laid their lives down for other that have been written about. It's a testimony for the ages to come and encourages sinners to repent. And guys, the most beautiful thing about the book of Ephesians 
Ephesus was the mecca of idolatry in the Greco-Roman society. It took Paul two years partnering with Jesus to turn it into the hub of where God would cast his church. This is the power that is behind this story. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like, how dark it is. Imagine receiving the gospel and seeing hundreds of different gods that people worship in a certain time of year, hundreds of thousands of people to worship pagan gods. And to see that darkness push back, to see those temples change, to see the economics of that society begin to change because God had invaded that city. Not only that, he took a place that was honestly just run by the devil. Every idol does the same thing. It is deaf, mute, blind, and dumb, and it steals and deceives. He took a city that glorified that and turned it into one that glorified him. <clears throat> so I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to respond. Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may present to the heart of wisdom. Lord, us, Lord, help us to live carefully, making the most of every opportunity for these days are wicked. Help us not to live foolishly, but to understand the will of God. And Father, it is with great delight that your scripture says this, the one we read this morning, that we have been sealed with the assurance of your spirit. And so, Father, I just want to pray grace over anyone who may be, <clears throat> being, be struggling with a voice of condemnation. Lord, I want to pray um, that your voice would interrupt that, that you would remind them that is the kindness of God that draws us to repentance, that leads us into the light, that takes us out of our false self and allows our true self to stand before our maker to find healing and grace. And Lord, I just want to ask one more thing. Would you breathe upon us in this season that gives us great power to change the things you want changed in our city, in our hearts, in our families, in our streets and neighborhoods? God, we thank you for your sacrifice, for redeeming us even when we were enemies of God. And so, Lord, would you give us great compassion for those that you would have us minister to? Lord, would you help us to partner with you in this year so that we make, make the love of Jesus famous in the ages to come? Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.